In just a minute, I'm going to introduce to you one of my favorite new friends, and that's Aaron Halavin. Aaron and Jamie are the district superintendents of the Assemblies of God in Michigan. What that means is they lead and oversee the work in our churches. He'll tell you more about that in just a moment. But uh, he's been a youth pastor, been a pastor, has done short-term missions trip, a lot of wonderful church, and I am so delighted to have him here. He's fun. He's entertaining, but he has a great big heart for God. And his wife did a tremendous job at our ladies' Christmas tea this year. I want you to welcome Aaron and Jamie Halavin to Woodland today. Would you do that? It is great to be with you today and uh, thankful for your, your pastors. How many know you have really good people who lead this church? Uh, and that's a good spot to say amen, amen. And uh, I really believe in them, and they are the real deal. They're good people. They have great hearts. They have an amazing call, and they love serving you. It is a privilege to serve our state in the capacity that I do. As Pastor mentioned, I uh, oversee about uh, 254 churches and just under 900 credential holders. And I have a a wide variety of responsibilities that would bore you, that you would care nothing about. (laughs) But uh, a lot of my favorite things to do is to come and share the Word of God with churches and and try to be an encouragement to you today. Let me just uh, mention the title of the message today. I actually didn't say this in first service, and I should have. It's called Recourage. And this is a message the Lord put on my heart about a year ago uh, to share uh, as I traveled for this first year, because I think there's something about this message that is resonating with people at this season of life. The word recourage is a made-up word. How many know it's okay to make up words when you're a preacher? You just make up words, you know? So I know it's not a real word. We know the word encouragement. That means something that happens on the inside that you encourage yourself from, uh, you receive encouragement, I should say, from the outside. I said that exactly wrong. Someone encourages you, tells you you're doing a great job, you feel good about that. That's encouragement. Recouragement is the ability for you to recourage, to reinvigorate, to respond to something on the inside of ourselves. My challenge is, is that in the kingdom of God, and especially in American Christianity, that we would find ourselves more able to do that in seasons of difficulty. As you know, we've just come through a terrible season of difficulty, of, of COVID and economic things, and now wars, and all sorts of stuff that is occurring around the world. And it's very easy in Christendom to get lost in that and to decide to yourself that Uh, not possibly that God is not good or God is not with us or just to become discouraged during that season of life. One of the things I think that happens to us way too often is we don't understand about the promise God gives us of hope in the midst of suffering. And there's this formula that I found in Romans chapter 5. I wish I had written it, but I found it. And it's verse 3 through 4, and it says this, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. At the end of that sentence is the statement of hope. It is the promise of hope. But if you notice, there's some things that precede that. 
there are moments in there that remind us of sort of a formula that leads us from suffering, which produces things that leads to a season of hope. Not only do we suffer, as it says in, in verse 3, part A, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Now, I want to talk about suffering for a moment. Suffering is not this thing that we need to seek. It's not some suggestion that we should enjoy suffering. Certainly suffering is suffering, and therefore it's not good. But there is something that Paul says here in this text that reminds us of the importance of how suffering can lead us to other things. Now, how many love a fresh glass of fresh squeezed orange juice? Come on now. Let's get those hands up. If you don't, I don't trust you. If you don't eat pizza or don't like fresh orange juice, I don't trust you in life. How many say amen to that? And, uh, and so the reality is, is a fresh squeezed glass of orange juice is spectacular unless you're the orange. The orange suffers mightily to produce something else. The word in this text is actually the word philipsis, which means a crushing or a pressing. And it's similar to that of the orange. The orange suffers pressure to squeeze out of it what is already there to produce something that is enjoyed by someone else or enjoyed on the other side. The orange goes through a crushing to produce something. And that's what that text said. Suffering produces, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. First of all, we're going to jump into Corinthians. The author is still the same person. It's Paul. In 1 Corinthians, if you don't know Corinthians, it was a letter written to the church in Corinth where Paul had spent 18 months of his life pouring into that congregation. Paul wants that congregation to succeed. He knows it's an influential potential church to the whole region. And so because of that, Paul is committed to the success of that congregation. So he writes a letter in 1 Corinthians and he's sent it to try to bring a correction. Why? Because when Paul left, the church found itself in factions, in pressure, in conflict, in disagreement. And Paul is trying to address that. Paul is waiting for Titus, his compadre, his friend, his cohort, to bring back a message of how did they receive the letter he sent in 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is another letter written to the church after he's received word back from the first letter. And here's what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 1. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our trouble. Paul starts off and makes it clear. There is a certain thing we need to know that trouble is part of life. In our American Christian mindset, we have this idea that if we go to church, we tithe, we, we worship, we serve in a ministry, that somehow we are exempt from suffering. That is not true. Think of it this way. Jesus went to the cross and suffered greatly. The Bible says what man is greater than his uh, uh, servant is greater than his master, that he would suffer the same. All of the disciples, with the exception of John, we have some debates of if John was killed or he just died of old age. But the disciples were killed for the message of Jesus Christ. 
Suffering is not separate from life, not because we are Christians, but because we live in this world that has suffering in it. We live in a fallen world, and therefore suffering is a part of it. When I went on a trip to the Philippines, the superintendent of the Philippines had this historical lesson of the journey of the centers of Christianity all throughout the Bible days, all the way beyond that into modern day time. And one of the things that he said is, currently Christianity is centered out of, out of the United States, but it will leave there soon. And he said, the reason why is, the American Christian church prays for lighter burdens on its shoulders while the rest of the Christian world prays for stronger shoulders for their burdens. That there's something innate within our own makeup that suggests to us that because we do the right things, we should have a perfect life. But how many know you still stub your toe and it hurts? Men, how many know when you, have you seen those progressive commercials where you're becoming like your parents and they show the one where they sit that every man goes, ah, when they sit down because everything hurts. How many know what I'm talking about? Suffering is part of life. It just happens. And Christians are not exempt from it. However, Christian faith, the Christian itself, the person of, who follows Christ, has an ability to do something different with suffering than many other people do in life. Let's look at this for a moment. Paul in 2 Corinthians 1.8 says this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired, despaired of life itself. Paul, this is the Apostle Paul, the hero of faith. He's describing the suffering they were under. And he says, I want you to understand this. It was far beyond our ability to endure. It was so bad that we despaired of life itself. We've all had those moments. At some point in life, you've had a moment where life felt so overwhelming that you weren't sure you were going to make it through. You, you were overwhelmed, overcome, overburdened. And Paul says, listen, this is the season I was in, and I despaired of life itself. He goes on in verse 9 and says, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. I mean, this is serious stuff. But then he says this awesome sentence that I want to encourage you with. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Come on, church. There's something that Paul is tapping into here that is amazing. He says, listen, all the suffering that felt overwhelmed, overwhelming to me, overwhelm my life. All of this happened for a reason, that it would strip away everything and just leave me and God one-on-one. -on -one. What an amazing thing. And I think that's what's happened during this COVID season. How many of us in faith started to go, hey, you know what? It really is me and Jesus here. You had to worship in different ways. Worship in different moments. Discovered the sense that God was still with you and not just in a church building. Come on now. I want churches to fill back up. I want everyone to come back to church. That's my goal. I think God works best in community. The devil works best in isolation. I think God created us for each other. How many say amen to that? But I also know 
that when we leave church, when we come to church, it should be a celebration of what God has done all week long, not just the gathering to recharge for a difficult week ahead. We've got to know Jesus is with us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and wherever we go, God has a plan for our lives. Amen? Yeah, all right. I got to clap. We'll take that. We'll take that. The reality is this. Paul says something had to happen. Paul, what did it feel like? It felt like a resurrection. It is like God raised me back up from the struggle of the pit and put my feet back on solid ground. This near-death experience did not get the victory. In fact, it got defeated because in the near-death feeling experience, I experienced something new with God. Church believers, let me say this to you. We believe God heals miraculously, medically, progressively. How many know God can use medicine? God can do something miraculous. And God made our bodies to have the ability to heal. But here's the beautiful thing for a believer. God even made it so that when we die, if we lose the battle on earth, we still gain heaven for every believer. Listen, the devil has lost on every single account. Why? Because God is good. His goodness is chasing us. His goodness captures our hearts. And that's why Paul, back to Romans 5, says this, not only so we suffer, uh, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces. I want you to remember that. Suffering produces. Suffering produces something that is not experienced in other ways. And what the text says later, we'll see, suffering produces perseverance. And this is a common theme all throughout Scripture. Look at James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Paul says, listen, suffering has the ability to produce something in our lives, and it can produce perseverance. Perseverance is the ability to keep going when you don't want to. I don't know if you know this, but pastors don't always want to preach. They have stuff going on in their life too. <laughs> of course, not your pastors. They're perfect. How many say amen to that? The reality is, is life is not always good. And you come to church with people every week who have difficult things happening in their lives and a smile on their face, and they still faithfully serve and give. Why? Because they're learning to persevere in the midst of suffering. Paul in 2 Corinthians 2.12 says this. He demonstrates that even though he's suffering, he's continuing to move forward. Listen to what he says. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. Paul isn't feeling it. Troas is about 250 miles north of where he's at. And he still goes forward even though he is suffering. How do you know, Pastor, he's suffering? Let me show you, verse 13. I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus. He's waiting for the answer from Titus. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. The ironic part about this is Paul has an open door of ministry and he's serving in it, but the answer is already on its way. 
Titus has already gotten word. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. It all works out. They received the first letter well. They changed their direction. They care a lot about Paul. The, the message of freedom is coming to Paul, but Paul is still stressing. But God is still working. Church, can I tell you, I have learned over the course of my life, in the midst of my greatest seasons of stress, pain, and struggle, it does not negate the power of God working, moving, and doing something great. By the way, not only in me, but through me. Paul cannot function, though. He's overwhelmed. The pressure he feels is, is just immense, even though he has the open door of ministry. So he leaves and goes to Macedonia, and we read in chapter 7, verse 5, for when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest. We were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fear within. Aren't you glad the Bible doesn't sanitize the saints? <laughs> I mean, this is Paul. Paul is struggling. He says, listen, and by the way, you can leave a circumstance, but it follows you if you don't learn the lesson. I remember one person told me he was a pastor friend. You've probably had these conversations, uh, Pastor Dennis, but a pastor said to me, you know, I'm miserable in ministry, so I'm going to leave my church and go to another church. And they go to another church, and well, guess what? They're miserable in ministry, and they go to another church. And it doesn't even dawn on them that they haven't fixed the root issue, and so it travels with them. And by the way, when you're miserable at church, you're miserable at work, you're miserable at the store, you're miserable to drive behind. Listen, misery and suffering follows, but persevering in the midst of it allows us the ability to push forward. Paul says, listen, suffering is producing the, something in my life. I'm learning to keep going even though I want to quit. I think my contention is that the American Christian tends to be one who gives up way too easy, way too often. That we tend to just say, God, where are you? I think we're more mad at God than we are grateful. I think in, in the seasons of blessing, we oftentimes just go, look what I did. And look what I did is one step away from look what I did without you. <laughs> I think when seasons are good, we sort of coast and we say, God, you're good. As soon as trial comes. You know, if you're, and this might sound like a personal experience my wife and I had last year. When your garbage disposal, your refrigerator, your washer, your dryer, your dishwasher, and your furnace all break within a two-week period of time. How many know sometimes we go, well, that's the devil. I don't think it was the devil. I think it was bad workmanship. How many say amen? amen. Listen, you don't need the devil to mess up your life. You can do that all on your own. <laughs> And we talk about the devil like he gets all this credit. Listen, church, he's defeated. He's already lost. When we say the devil's coming after me, of course he's coming after you. He should. You know what? If you're a believer and the devil doesn't have a plan to destroy your life, then you're not doing anything that makes the devil nervous. You know, we say things that are really bad in theology like the Holy Spirit showed up as if he's absent. As if the Holy Spirit takes a vacation for a couple weeks and shows back up. No, what we should say is we tapped into what the Holy Spirit was doing because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is with us all the time. He's everywhere. How many know? We, we say phrases that comfort our soul without understanding the implications of what they mean. 
And so we create this thing, but we have to persevere. And that's why Paul says this, but God, verse six through seven, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Titus shows up, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. And Paul gets really vain here for a moment. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. You know what Paul's saying there? They still like me. They still think I'm a good guy. But Paul is in a process. Suffering produces perseverance if we allow. We either quit or we keep going. And then he says this. That's why at the beginning, by the way, back up, at the beginning of 2 Corinthians 1, we read, Praise be to the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. Paul is, is giving us this formula that says faith and persevering and moving forward happen on a parallel track. Nine to ten times in 2 Corinthians, the word trouble and suffering is mixed with the word comfort. It's like Paul saying, hey, listen, this is life. You're going to have moments of suffering and moments of God's comfort. It just depends which way the track, the train is moving. You're either leaning into the turn of comfort or the turn, turn of, of, of struggle. But it's part of life. So what Paul is saying is, praise be to the God who brings strength in the midst of great turmoil. Praise be to God who brings strength in the midst of fear. Praise be to God who brings strength in the midst of outside struggle. Praise be to God who comforts and gives strength when life harasses me. Anybody can relate in this place or online to the fact that there are seasons of difficulty, but you can stop and say, praise be to God who's with me in the midst of the mess. That's what he's saying here. That's persevering. It's the ability to see God while everything else seems bad. It's challenging and it's difficult, but it's God. And Paul says, I had to tap into something. But then he goes on, and we'll read this later. He says, suffering produces perseverance and perseverance does something to our character. There is something about going through struggle and, and persevering through it that produces something in your character that nothing else will. That nothing else will. This character development is the ability to be more like Christ, that every day we become more like who Jesus is. Of course, we'll never obtain that fully this side of earth, but, but we want to understand that, that as we pursue becoming more Christ-like, our character changes. There are things you learn. There are disciplines that become part of your life that you only learn by persevering through difficult times. Because suffering leads to persevering. Persevering through struggle develops something in you. It's, it's the ability for you to know God's going to get you through the next struggle because you remember he got you through the first struggle. I remember the day my wife, she had uh, been uh, saved at eight years old, served the Lord until uh, college, had a couple years she didn't serve the Lord. And I remember sitting in the back of the worship center the Wednesday night, she regave her heart to Christ. She had, uh, 
had, had had this unfortunate accident that happened and it really got her attention. And she came home and said, God, if you want me to get my life right with you, I will. And uh, I'll go to church tonight. And then she went to get ready for church and there were no cars in the driveway. And so her literal internal concept was this. Well, God, I guess you didn't want me to go. And a, and a friend of her brother's who she had not been in contact with in a while out of nowhere, the phone rings and he says, hey, I was driving to church today and the Lord told me you needed a ride. Is that true? And God brought her to church that day. By the way, that young man became a missionary to Libya and was martyred for his faith while he was uh, preaching the gospel. And I remember sitting in the back of the worship center watching my wife have Kleenexes pile up at her feet as God was just wrecking her life. She wasn't my wife at the time. I knew in that moment she would be. How many say amen to that? Come on. I was like, yeah. But I, I watch it and she taught me something. She said to me, Aaron, you've been a Christian your whole life. Grace is often as realized and aware as often as most recently needed. And she said, you got to understand the grace God is giving to people. You know what she's understanding? Suffering produced perseverance, and it developed something in her character that has steadfastly moved her faith forward over the years. And that's why when we read verses like this in 2 Corinthians, we get all excited as Christians. We, we focus on the second parts, but we have to remember the first parts are about suffering. How about this? We are hard pressed on every side. That's negative, but not crushed. Perplexed, that's tough, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. You know what that is? That's resilience. That's the lessons of character that remind yourself, I've suffered, I've persevered, and I am not somebody who's going to be defeated. I will not be crushed. I will not be in despair. I will not be abandoned, and I will not be destroyed. Why? Because I know who God is. Romans 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and then it goes on from there. We'll talk about it in just a moment. I'm going to skip the next verse. Romans 5, 3 through 4, it ends with, and character produces hope. It's the promise of hope through the formula that starts with suffering. It's an amazing thing when you see suffering. I, we had a lady in our church. She, in five-year period of time, lost her granddaughter, her husband, and her, and her daughter to uh, death, all in a five-year window period of time. She came to me, and she came to our church, and we preached a series on bounce. We called it bounce backedness, made up word again by preachers. How to bounce back. She did not let the suffering defeat her. She continued to be faithful to God, continued to grow in her character. She got invited to go preach at a church about what God had done through her life, through the suffering. She was still raw in that. She preached a message. There was a young lady in the church who was prepared to have an abortion of the child she was carrying. God got a hold of her watching this lady go through suffering, pr producing perseverance and the character of Wanda. That lady gave her heart to Jesus Christ. She chose not to abort the baby. Later, the lady from my church, Wanda, got to hold the baby that was saved. Why? Because hope is something the world desperately needs. 
And Christians, we have got to be people who unleash hope wherever we go. Listen, every person who encounters you should feel better about themselves, not worse. My number one mission in life is that if you interact with me, that you feel better about life. Not because I have all the answers, but because you're the most important thing to me in that moment. Why? Because you're important to God. And that suffering that produces persevering, that develops our character, automatically leads to a hope-filled life because we know that greater is he that's in me than he that's within this world. Because we start to believe that the word of God is true. Listen, we either need to believe it's true or stop preaching it. The Bible is all about victory. I know that's a phrase here. Come on, victory. Especially when Georgia wins a football game. He says, amen over there, pastor, I tell you. The reality is this. The Bible is a book of victory. There's some difficult parts and some overwhelming challenges, but it's a book of victory. Hope reminds us that someday this too shall pass. Hope is the belief that there are other good things to come. Hope is a trust in God to be God to us, even though the world feels overwhelming to us. Hope is the result of the formula. It's a promise of God that if we do this well, we will be hope-filled people. And watch this, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Come on. What's he addressing there? In the midst of life and struggle, as you trust in him. We had this phrase at Freedom Christian. Life will be difficult, but God can be trusted. Life will be difficult, but God can be trusted. And every day you choose a way. If I was preaching at Freedom, if I said every day, the whole church would say, you choose a way. Life will be difficult, the whole church would say, but God can be trusted. Why do we say those things? Because we have to develop in our character the hope that even though something's wrong, I can still trust in my Savior. That even though life is challenging, I can still believe for a greater day tomorrow. Why? As you trust in him, so that, watch this, you may overflow like a cup being, being, being filled or you come in from outside in your wedding and you do this and, or like in a shower when you do this and water splashes. It's like hope overflows. It splashes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul sort of ends this thing with this understanding that hope, watch this, empowered and infused with the Holy Spirit is a contagious thing in the world around us. I started to notice during COVID that uh, grocery store shelves were uh, stocked. You know, as you know, we ran out of stock. And that was a little unsettling when you walked into a grocery store and were like, we can't find toilet paper. How many, how many were panicking about toilet paper at one point? Um, but I started noticing that things were on the top shelf and there's a lot of short people in the world. That's not a rip on any short people, but it's just true. And I started deciding that I was going to reach out to people because everywhere I go, every move I make, every place I go, every gas station, grocery store, every restaurant, I pray this prayer before I walked in today. God, let me be someone who splashes, who produces hope to the world around me. 
And the reason for that is because I remember one time, and I'll get back to that grocery store moment. I remember one time being at a restaurant and I felt like the Lord had told me to share my faith with someone. And uh, we were in a hurry and we really were. And, and we talked ourselves out of it. And I laughed only to find out she passed away that night in a car accident. And I made a commitment to the Lord that every time I had an inkling from the Lord, every time that I would be around people that I wanted to be used by God because I wanted to splash hope. I wanted to be someone who produced hope. So I started walking through grocery stores noticing when people weren't reaching to top shelves, they couldn't quite get there or they were staring up. And, and I'd say, can I help you get something? And they would all say yes. And my kids were humiliated. I was constantly getting things off shelves. And my kids were like, can we just go to the store, get something and leave? I'm talking with people everywhere. Uh, and, and this one lady, I pulled down some chicken bouillon cubes. And uh, she says, oh, you are just like, you remind me of my son. And I said, I'm sure he is very handsome and an amazing guy. And uh, she laughed and uh, that was a joke. That was a joke. You can laugh. And, uh, and she says, well, you remind me of son. I said, uh, I'm sure he's this. She goes, well, he was. I said, he was. And she said, yes, he was killed in a, a car accident. A drunk driver drove across the road and hit him head on and, and he died. And I said, were you close? And she goes, I was very close. We went to church every Sunday. I said, is your church body gathering around you? And she said, no. She goes, I haven't been back to church because God killed my son. And I said, can I ask you a question? What if God didn't kill your son? What if a drunk driver did? And, and I'm sure she's had somebody say that to her before, but it was the right moment at the right time that the Holy Spirit took that hope and something changed. And she gave her heart back to the Lord at a Kroger grocery store over chicken bouillon cubes. Why? Because the world is desperately looking for hope. We had an individual at our congregation who had a passion to reach the community around us. And we started going out and serving, uh, much like your church was recognized by our city. And as we were doing so, one of the things she noticed as we were cleaning up the neighborhood, this house of a lady who was under uh, charges of blight because she had overgrown yard and you know gutters and all sorts of stuff. And we went there as a church and cleaned it all up. As they were leaving, they noticed a picture. And due to this lady's health, she couldn't reach her toes and they noticed that she had, uh, uh, in pictures, her toenails always were done immaculate. And so she said, a lady from our church said, can, can, I, can, I, can I paint your toenails? A lady from our church got on her knees and she clipped the lady's toenails and painted them. And they laughed and they didn't think anything of it. A year later, I get a call from her son. Her son says to me, I got to tell you, pastor, you people are nuts. I said, okay. He says, listen, my mom and I had been in fights for years about her yard. She thought it was my job. I told her to hire somebody. She wouldn't do it. We had a terrible relationship. She called me one day and told me some church showed up and cleaned up her yard. And I couldn't believe it. And, and they, she said they even painted my toenails. And I thought she was lying. So I, I went to her house to spend time with her. And I couldn't believe all you had done. I said, what you need to know is because of that, I started going over there every Sunday and we watch your church services online and both of us have given our lives to Jesus Christ. And I will tell you why it was. Because somebody clipped somebody's toenail. 
Because somebody, and by the way, that family was going through some suffering when they were there clipping toenails and cleaning up the yard. Why? Because suffering that produces perseverance, that develops your character, the result of the joy of Jesus is hope. And this world needs hope. And I believe God wants to move and send a revival to America, but Christians have got to get this right. Instead of talking about what we're against or how hard life is, maybe we should just simply return to what the disciples did. Everywhere they went, they preached the goodness of Jesus, the joy of finding salvation in Jesus, and people's lives got changed. Maybe we should act like Jesus is off the cross and out of the grave because he's alive and he's moving across our country and in the lives of people. So my challenge for you as a congregation, my prayer is that wherever you go and whoever you interact with, that you splash hope. That when people meet you, they meet Jesus in you. I'm going to say this, Pastor Dennison, I'm leaving, so if they get mad, that's okay. I don't understand grumpy Christians. I can be honest, if you're a grumpy human and you're a believer in Jesus, something's not working. I don't mean you're not saved. I just mean, come on. He is alive. He forgave you of your sins. He cleansed your life. He's done everything that he could ever do. And then he says, I want to have a relationship with you. Christians should be the most hope-filled people on the planet. Wherever we go, may we splash the hope of Jesus, even in the midst of our suffering or in the midst of persevering or in the development of our character. May we return to this world the hope found in Jesus Christ. God bless you. so much, Aaron. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm so glad that you were here. And I'm so blessed that I got to listen to the message a second time. Now, here's what you need to do. You need to go online. You need this evening when it's posted, woodland.church, and you need to listen to this message again. Because he shared some things with you in this service he didn't share in the first service. And that's the way it is with every sermon. God has something unique to say. But you want to listen again this evening or tomorrow or sometime this week. I want to pray a prayer blessing over you before you go. So would you just lift your hands to the Lord and let's receive from him this morning. Father, every week we ask you that you would make your face to shine upon us. We ask you, Lord, that you will come and you would... Smile upon us, Lord. We want to live in the presence of your glory. We want to walk in the power of your spirit. We want the flame of the light of life burning in our hearts. And so I pray, God, that you would make your holy presence so real to us. Bless us with strong shoulders, Lord. I pray that you will develop that beautiful character of Christ in us that we've heard from your word this morning. 
And I pray that, God, we will choose the way of the cross, the way of life. And would you bless us with prosperous and productive weeks that we might be fruitful in every good work and that you will give us fruit that remains. For it's in the precious and the holy name of Jesus I pray this blessing over this congregation here and our online campus as well. Amen, amen, and amen. Now, for those of you who are watching or maybe you're here this morning, if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, now's the time, now's the day. And I have a notion, listen, the day I gave my heart to Christ, I had no idea that's what I was going to do. I had no, I didn't expect to give my heart to Christ. I don't know what it was like for you when you came back, Jamie, but I had no idea I was gonna give my heart to Christ. But something happened inside and I wanted to follow Jesus. I wanted to love Jesus. And later through reading the word, I understood that to be the work of the Holy Spirit. God, that's supernatural what's happening to you. God's drawing you. So I wanna pray with you right now. Would you pray this prayer with me? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus Christ to give his life for my life, to shed his blood for my sins. I believe that, Lord. I'm not even sure I know how I believe that, but I know, I know that it's true this morning. So as much as I know how, I give my heart to you. And I ask you, Lord, to come in and make me a brand new person. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Pastor Corey's going to come and he's going to tell you we have a gift we'd love to give you or send to you. And all you've got to do is request that. Corey. going to help you in your journey and help you understand the prayer you just prayed. And if you prayed that prayer and you're online right now, if you would just email us at info at woodland.church, we'd be so glad to send it to you as well. That book is going to help you understand a little bit more about that decision you just made. At this time, I just want to encourage you, go splash some hope on people this week. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. You're dismissed.